0: Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship. Weekday. This is episode three of season whatever.
1: Episode three, season whatever. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome in. How are you? How am I? Yeah. I'm, uh, as you can probably tell, I'm a little flustered this morning, but we're good. I didn't good. know. You couldn't tell? Oh, I mask it all so
0: well. You just walked in? Just walked in. Ready to go. <coughs> well, you were on the phone when I you was got on here. The phone. <laughs> yes. So maybe, maybe you were flustered with whoever you were on the phone
1: with. No, no, no. The flustering <laughs> preceded that. Just getting kids out of the house for school and motivating. Motivating uh, young men is sometimes hard.
0: Mm. (laughs) Motivating young men. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. (laughs) You wish you were in Colombia. Colombia? Yeah. Why? Partying. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even see. I set that
1: up. He didn't even see it coming. Well. (laughs) <laughs> You're kind of like a volleyball player, but you do the setting and the spiking. Like, it's, 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 like it's breaking the rules. Like, you can't...
0: What do you mean? You How don't get all the three
1: hits on the side of the net for your team. Like, you have to trade off hits. But here you are, setting yourself up, and then going into the net hard to uh. spike it in somebody's <laughs> face.
0: Well, well, the joy of it is you, the, wanna give you didn't people, see it coming. You want to give, give the people what they want? <laughs> so yesterday, uh, the lovely Generation staff... Spent the day uh, combing through pictures of James on the internet. <laughs> wow. Okay. I want to just be
1: clear. The staff, at least in as much as it included me, did not spend the day combing <laughs> through. I, uh, I fear that you have uh, painted a certain image of our staff here today. But go ahead. like It's your, it's your narrative. No, what else
0: you got? Somebody who shall not be named uh, stumbled across... Apparently there's a generations uh Instagram page mm-hmm. that no one on staff had ever <laughs> had never of, knew existed. Didn't know didn't know it yeah. was a thing. Well. Yeah. And uh so but it was it was basically uh pictures of a trip that maybe three years ago mm-hmm. that you and some other folks took to Columbia uh with some of our partner churches there that were uh in fellowship with and doing ministry with, and you did some you did some teaching on it. I'm sure other people did did different things, but some of the pictures were about some of the teaching you were doing there. And uh, but it was just like it was also pictures of just your activities throughout the week. Yes, including mostly at meals, sitting at meals. Including your meals. Yes. And one of the pictures is you sitting there. It, it looks like you're in a Mexican restaurant here, right? <laughs> Okay. So I told, you, I told your wife, I was like, he looks like he's at Kiko's at happy hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got like uh, what looks like a big old margarita sitting next to you. Yeah. Alongside two things that look like pina coladas. <laughs> so it appears that
1: I have three alcoholic beverages sitting in front of me at the table. Yes. On this mission uh, trip. Pretty, pretty good size Pretty beverages. good size. Yeah. Pretty good
0: size. Generous so let's clear the air. Were, were, were you downing drinks? On this mission trip. On the
1: mission trip, was was I going to Colombia
0: to, to basically uh, have a for
1: a siesta for, for a, uh, an adult spring break? Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So I feel, I don't want to be defensive about it. Um, so maybe I'll just let the people think what the people think. That's
0: a terrible idea.
1: That's a terrible yeah. idea. <laughs> well, okay. So number one. Um, I have nothing to do with this Instagram page. Uh, I believe Kevin set that up for the purpose of being able to communicate easily so that people back home can see things that we're doing while uh-huh. we're on mission trips.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but beyond that, uh, no, I don't believe I've ever consumed a drop of alcohol in Colombia. So these weren't in actual trips. alcoholic drinks? No, they were not. Okay. No, they... Uh, uh, Columbia has delicious juices when you go to restaurants, mm, okay. uh, and I think Did you
0: say that. Yeah, Kevin says every time he goes to Columbia, all he does is drink
1: the juice. Oh, the he juices are amazing. Juices. Yeah. So, and they, they, they are either it not unlike a margarita though. You can get them like on the rocks, or you can get them like sort of slushy or something sure, like that. Sure, sure. So, I think the pina colada looking ones. I don't know what those were. I suspect the one that looked like more like a margarita was probably mine, which was a limonade. Okay. Um, just is, like a lemonade. It is glorified lemonade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're delicious. Okay. It's one of the highlights. Actually, my, so I have three of our boys have been to Columbia on different trips, and it's like one of their favorite things, too. So everybody comes back from Columbia uh-huh. and be like, oh my gosh, the juices are so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was not downing pictures of Marg's on happy hour in Colombia under the guise of a mission trip, just to clear the air. Okay. This is two weeks in a row you've brought
0: scandal uh, to the podcast, I, I always enjoy when I, we stumble across things that uh, either pictures or things that you have on the internet that you've forgotten about or didn't know about. <laughs> you know, like remember yeah. a couple months ago when I learned that you had a Twitter oh, I account, <laughs> uh, an X account. <laughs> we were sitting in your
1: house, and Andrew, you, you brought that to the pod. The, pe- the people, who, if you listen to the pod, you've already heard about this. Uh, There's oh my already God, been a story. I forgot, forgot this. about
0: that. Yeah, yeah, man. Is, yeah. You got any other social media? history things, yeah did you have a myspace no no myspace no i had a facebook that got hacked um, hacked
1: well betsy and i had a shared facebook that i didn't use much at all betsy would ap- occasionally post things and that was pre-covid and then covid came up and then i started during covid posting stuff you know during that time because people were crazy <laughs> and uh, so i just tried to like post things that were like sane just like little uh. things So I used it during COVID a little bit, and then uh, it got hacked, like, kind of on the tail end of COVID when things were starting to return. It got hacked, and we got locked out of our account. And you go through all the – I don't know if anybody's ever done this with Facebook. You go through all the channels, and Facebook basically tells
0: you, um, yeah, you're going to have to open a new page. But but when you say hacked, meaning you just got locked out or people were posting weird things from your account? Uh, Somebody got
1: into our account. I think they may have posted something initially – and then they changed all the
0: password stuff, and we couldn't get back into did it. They, did they blackmail you? Like, hey, send no. me $500, no. and I'll let you back
1: in. No, no there was nothing
0: like that. So, so just out of, they just wanted to see the world burn uh, by destroying James and Betsy Rowell's Facebook ministry. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, a,
1: a, a a sort of nice reference to Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little quote of Alfred <laughs>
0: yeah. to uh, Bruce Wayne, yeah, to Master yeah. Bruce. Yeah
1: some people just want to wash the world
0: burn <laughs> i mean um, I just, what was the impetus behind somebody hacking your account I don't know you'd have to ask keith ledger um
1: so yeah they, i don't know somebody did that um, we so we couldn't get back into it and their solution was you have to start a new page and i was like yeah, i'm not gonna do that <laughs> so now i don't have any facebook you can, i've okay. never i've never been on instagram so i don't really it's funny betsy has an instagram account and she'll be on there like scrolling through stuff and She'll say, "Oh, look at this!" And she'll hand me the phone, and you have to like do something. To you have to like swipe or mm-hmm. hold or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to use it at okay. all. Okay. So I'm like a, I'm like a complete invalid when sure, it comes to using. You're
0: completely dark
1: Instagram. in terms of. Uh, I've never media. had.
0: Uh, do you have an Instagram account? Uh, no, I haven't had no. an Instagram account in probably ten years. Okay.
1: Uh, did you? Do, you were too young for MySpace,
0: right? No, I had a MySpace, but did I was you? I was young. I was like real really young. young. Yeah. 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 Wow. I got in trouble for it. My parents got really mad. Did you do Facebook? Yeah, oh yeah. Snapchat? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've like, never. But again, these are like uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, sure. Um, the only thing I still retain is a Twitter Twitter account. And that's just to kind of troll. People, or, Mostly uh, to, to, to. To Twitter stalk people. To, I mean, I, I like the content on Twitter, and I can, uh, it's a great connect tool for hmm. people in niches. Do you feel so. like
1: it's been better or worse since Elon took over? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's <laughs> the same characters, it's the same clowns. Have you, uh, have you tried uh, Truth Social? No. Have you tried threads? No. Okay, so you're just sticking to X. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what about uh, LinkedIn? You got a LinkedIn? I might have had one a while back. What's the uh, Reformed Pastors, uh, like, networking social site? I mean, a lot of pastors use LinkedIn. No, but I'm saying, like, isn't there, like, a special one for just Reformed, like? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Like, I don't know. Tulip. <coughs> well, that's a dating <laughs> site. <laughs> That's a date yeah, I so. uh, yeah, I don't think there is one. No, um, so I think I may. The one thing I may have retained out there, and you can check me on this. I may have, I may have created a LinkedIn a hundred years ago that I haven't. Okay. That I have no idea, like what's on there or whatever. Well, all. I'll have to find out. Yeah, I, I'm sure you will. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll love to bring some sort of scandal out of uh, it to the man. podcast. Gotta make
0: sure I screenshot it. You really
1: play into like this sort of people's like desire for uh, you know. Soap opera drama stuff. You like to bring stuff into the fray and kind of. Yeah.
0: I'm like little clickbait. In Touch Magazine for. Does In Touch Magazine do that? Yeah, you know they're like the, the tabloid. In Touch. That's like Doctor Stanley's thing, right? Ministries. Well, that was so his his thing was that. But there's also Jeez. a tabloid oh, trampling on the man's grave. Or National Enquirer is that what it's, you you know well, that one? Yeah, you know that the Enquirer and In
1: Touch Ministries are different. No, right? no,
0: In Touch Magazine. Hold on. Are
1: different. you saying that Doctor Charles Stanley founded Esquire? I, I don't know who. Or was, or I, don't was know, your, I don't know first who, who had
0: the first name. I don't know if it was first Intouch Minister or Intouch Magazine. But they're what? different.
1: <laughs> okay, so you're smearing the good. You're, you're besmirching I'm the good name of Doctor Stanley. They're, they're different. Linking him with gossip columnists and Rest, uh, He just passed recently. That's what I'm saying. You're like trampling on a man's grave. Mm. Completely what, un, what? uncalled for.
0: That's a little... The real scandal that's, has that's, finally emerged. You're welcome, people.
1: Up. I've uncovered. That's quite Here's up. Caleb trying to deflect with social media okay. nonsense. What do we got today? Yeah. <laughs> this is drug on a bit too long. Yes. No more, no more
0: stamping on people's graves. We're not doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, only one of us did it, so I'm, I'm glad you're getting off that. Supposedly. Um, well, we've been talking about formation... On the podcast to open the yeah.
1: season. Not as in, like, you know, the Mighty Ducks getting into formation. <laughs> Transformers, yeah, what, like, taking in their formation. What's the, what's the, what's the thing when the geese get formation? flying V. The,
0: the flying V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's what I thought of for some reason sort of, when you said formation. Yeah, not like, not, yeah, not choreography. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, we've been talking about cultural formation versus spiritual
0: formation. Yes, yes. And dealing with the fact that we're being formed and regardless of if we know it or not and or if we want to be or not. you can see how Caleb has been formed
1: by the zealous appetite for gossip and drama and all Maybe. that stuff, the ways that he's been... That may be know, true. ...subconsciously informed infor- yeah. by these things so yeah. that he brings it to this Cut my subscription
0: to In Touch magazine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... So we did kind of some conceptual work the last few weeks about talking about cultural formation versus gospel-shaped or spiritual formation, kind of giving a vision for each and showing how uh, content, stories, forms, practices, rituals, basically every aspect of our lives uh, that's engaging our mind, heart, and body uh, are forming us towards a specific view of human flourishing. Like underneath all of our formation whether consciously or unconsciously is a a, uh, a stated design or vision of what it means to have the good life or why we were created or what we're what we're moving towards and this kind of tied in into uh, laying the foundations for something we want to do as a church over the next year or so which is uh, kind of emphasize particular spiritual practices um, that, promote what we think is the biblically and God-honoring vision of human flourishing mm-hmm. um, in our lives. And so we looked at that both like a, um, like a, a meta kind of uh, way in terms of even prior to sin, like this vision of human flourishing, of us being geared toward God and these spiritual practices and what they're promoting uh, are, are a part of what we were designed to do. Mm-hmm. And within kind of post-fall, knowing that we now need the story of redemption, uh, these things uh, also, these spiritual practices also combat the world of flesh to the devil in an intentional way. Yeah. Right? That may be worth just highlighting that
1: these are not reactive practices necessarily in terms of um, things that maybe, either, either A, that we're coming up with, or B, that God gave us in response to. These were, mm-hmm. th- these are, Largely, like, all embedded in the original good creation of God. Like, yeah. this was, so, it was the way, always, mm-hmm. and so,
0: it's, it remains the way of recovering yes. what has been lost. Yes. I, I think you could make a case that every one of our spiritual practices could be something that Adam and Eve could have been doing in the garden. Yeah. Uh, toward the vision of the good life God was giving. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saying is, in a fallen world, now, these spiritual practices take on a a uh, a struggle in which they didn't in the garden mm-hmm. and also take on a, a, a another purpose which is to combat the fallenness yeah. um, within us and w- within the world and the opposition uh, that we face spiritually yeah there's a, uh, a
1: a a rightly oriented rebellion in this like yes. this is this is
0: christianity in revolt against yes. the kingdom of darkness yeah. that's why we've been saying we're not just talking about formation, we're talking about Christian formation. We're talking okay. about Christian counter-formation. Mm-hmm. We're responding while we're tapping into something that's kind of uh, what God created us to do. We're also responding to a formation that's already taking place mm-hmm. amongst us in a fallen world. Yeah. And so we said, we're going to emphasize one per month uh, over the next 12 months or so, uh, having basically uh, three spiritual practices under each of our uh, kind of spheres of discipleship Mm -hmm. um, at Generations. And the first one that we want to emphasize is worship, which is probably the most, the broadest one of all the ones we're thinking of.
1: Yeah, and in a certain way you could look at this as almost the umbrella. Sure. Over everything
0: else, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, And so what we want to do today is uh, kind of Do some of that conceptual work in terms of the way we're approaching each one, which is how we approach it on, like, spiritual practices on a bigger level the last couple weeks, which is first identifying, okay, how are we already being formed towards or around this idea? Uh, Whatever spiritual practice it is, today it's worship. How are we already being formed by culture in that way? Right. Then saying, okay, what is counter formation look like what what is the what is the alternative vision of human flourishing through the spiritual practice that God gives us in his story and then kind of saying okay what is this how is this practically implemented in the spiritual practice in our lives mm-hmm. so in that kind of rubric we're, we're going to work through worship today and really with a focus on when we get to implementation thinking about corporate worship um, like when we think about worship that you have uh, corporate worship or congregational worship in some ways, and then you have private worship or individual worship, which are both legitimate and healthy categories. Um, but there is a priority amongst them, and that's why I think corporate worship would is you should be in, done.
1: Would you include within that the idea of corporate worship uh, as sort of in between corporate and privatized or personal worship? Would you include, it, or would something of let's say, worship in the context of a smaller community than maybe the corporate body gathered on, like, a Sunday, let's say? Sure.
0: Would you include that within the range of corporate? Absolutely. Okay. I, I think so. Okay. Right. But I I think there is a priority of congregational worship sure. um, that, to me, is ordered first. Yeah. Not necessarily opposed. It's not opposed to those other spheres, but it is prioritized first. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think,
1: at least in my experience as a pastor... Over the last twenty years, um, which I've spent, well, I've, I've been pastoring for fifteen years, and but certainly for the last the last twenty years, have been thoughtfully involved in leading within church leadership and uh, discipling people and that kind of stuff. And and it seems to me that from about the time I was maybe around in college and the years after, there was a waning. Like I grew up in an environment that corporate worship was heavily emphasized in terms of the gathered church, Mm -hmm. but often community and Monday through Saturday was underemphasized in a lot of environments. And then I grew up in, like, I don't know, there was like a a good 15, 20-year stretch where it seemed like the scales, like we often do, they Mm -hmm. tilt in the other direction, and it's like the pendulum swung back, and it became this emphasis on Monday through Saturday as... Needing to be recovered and, and, and be grafted into our conception of what it means to follow Jesus or worship Jesus or whatever, and so we started emphasizing serving in smaller community groups and mm-hmm. small group, all that kind of stuff. And it and what ended up happening was there was this neglect of of uh, corporate worship, yeah, in a sense. Like so, maybe a a singular emphasis on it in an earlier era to the point where it became almost an underemphasis on it. So that I feel like over the last four or five years, we've been trying to recover within our own church family. Uh, hey, this really matters. Mm-hmm. Like this is super significant. Yeah, and we don't want to lose emphasis on community midweek all the time. Like, the, like the the importance of these other things, uh, but but God absolutely has intended throughout history in this rhythm of weekly worship in a, in a gathered community. He's intended that to be restorative and catalytic for the rest of life. Yeah. And it's, it's, it plays a significant role in our, both our formation, but also just our
0: everyday. And I think our cultural moment in the last few years, because of something like COVID, the biggest risk is losing the significance of corporate worship. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I think, Thinking about our situated time, mm-hmm. that's that to me is the biggest risk yeah. of people settling into what was supposed to be a exceptional time um, in terms of having to have some where uh, we had to be separated in some ways, mm-hmm. and that becoming the rhythm of their life. Yeah, um, and thinking that is okay, right? Um, and we've talked about that before, sure. but it, it, I mean, I, again we spent a couple years in that space of not necessarily our church in terms of like we met for a good majority of the time, but just in terms of being in that mindset of making exceptions. Yeah. Right. We can't ignore that that doesn't have real effects on how we broadly as uh, sure. church culture uh, around us. Yeah. And there are through. still, I mean, I still,
1: I still talk to people who will kind of let you know like, Oh yeah, we went to church, we went to church and then COVID happened. And man, it's been really hard to get back to where mm-hmm. we just, See the importance of it or have recovered the discipline or the commitment to that like there's a lot of a lot of Christians who prior to covid mm-hmm. were faithful attenders of church who because they were almost renormalized in a different direction and it's
0: been it's been hard to recover the old the old way <laughs> yeah so yeah so kind of how one approach this first section on on doing some cultural exegesis, which means kind of identifying the ways in which culture is shaping us and the vision of human flourishing underneath them. Um, and as we looked at a couple weeks ago, doing so with the aim of getting heaven's view on this, on the ways culture is forming us. So like kind of ripping off the masks of things going on in culture and showing really the spiritual and religious nature behind them in many ways. Um, and so one of the ways I want to do that is as we start each uh, section on cultural exegesis of each one of these spiritual practices, as we'll do each month. I want to just start by reading a passage that I think uh, we should be doing our kind of a cultural unmasking in light of. Um, and so, so James is going to read Psalm 95, this is 1 through 7. I want you to think about what does this say about the idea of worship? And what is when you think of worship, what does this passage evoke for us? We're not really going to talk about it, but I want it to be in your mind as we go to culture and say, what's their vision of, of worship and what it's geared towards?
1: Um, just for my own benefit, maybe for the listeners, uh, when you say to have that in your mind, are you thinking there's this image that God gives us of worship? Are we to be thinking both of, okay, there's that biblical conception of worship, but also mm-hmm. are we thinking of What embodied forms of, like, where does our culture have expressions like this?
0: Uh, Yeah, so I'm thinking, where is worship directed and why?
1: Yeah. And it just paints us a picture of worship. Yes. Are we to imagine, like, where this sort of response to something is being directed in our culture?
0: With that in mind, who's being worshiped and why? Mm -hmm. We now go to Coltrans and, and answer the question, who are they worshiping? And in some ways, we're wrapped into that and yeah. why. Yeah, so
1: Psalm 95, verse, uh, verse 1 to 7. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's sort of middle of the sentence when it ends the verse. Yeah.
0: Let me keep going. No, it's okay. good. Okay, so you've got that. Really, that's a call to worship. Hmm. In um, the Psalms, it's kind of a, a. Uh, really, what a lot of I'm sure we've I'm sure we've used used that Psalm in some one of our Sundays in terms of a, a worship leader opening up and saying, reading that passage and saying, "Hey, let's come worship in this way." Um, it's kind of just like a basic bread and butter, consistent uh, call to worship that gives us a, a again. There's an old who to worship, worship song why. that has this as its chorus. Like, okay, I would hope I there's a I lot of songs. I on this I time. won't sing
1: it. But well, that yeah, we wouldn't like that. It's a li- it, it drags a little, so it would be tough on the pod. Okay, who's the author? <laughs> who's the author? Oh, I have no idea. Probably Hosanna music. Oh, Integrity Hosanna. You remember that? Yeah, uh, that group. It's it was not probably like one of theirs. Petra pays or something. Hold on, Petra may have done it. I can almost I can sort of hear John Schlitt
0: high pitched singing this. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> so when you think about worship, I think uh, the when you think about its opposite, you think about idolatry. Yeah. Or you all, like worship and idolatry usually go, are are things you have to define next to each other because worship is using that as something positively, whereas idolatry is seeing something uh, negatively. But Mm -hmm. to me, idolatry is just worship. Yeah. Geared in the wrong direction. just worship of Um, false gods. Yeah. So when I think about uh, idolatry, or wrong worship, um, the first thing is you got to define what an idol is. Uh, So Martin Luther helpfully says, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone may make both God and idol. So you could basically say, whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security, or whatever claims loyalty in your life, uh, that's who God is to you. That's what you're worshiping. Mm -hmm. Whatever your heart clings to. Um, and so the question that I, I want to pose in terms of trying to do some cultural exegesis is what is modern culture promoting as the object of our worship? Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, you could talk about a lot of things, but the ultimate answer to that question, I think, in culture is ourselves. <laughs> what's, the, what's the object of worship in modern culture? I would say it is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so last week... Uh, I sent James this, uh, up, I, I told him I was really excited about this book a week ago, or a, or a couple weeks ago, and I read it on the, I was out of town last week, and I read it on the plane. Uh, it's this, the, the lady we... Uh, hum- humble brag. Well, it was, it was a flight two ways. It was a flight two ways. It was a flight two ways. Um, Just joking. And a lady named Tara Isabel Burton, which we reference a ton, or at least a little bit, um, in the last couple episodes. And her kind of her argument, her project as a whole is: uh, we think of our society today as secular, but it's really not. It's re- it's still religious, just without traditional like Christianity or theism. It's it's more like paganism mm-hmm. in in most ways. And she's like she's not a Christian. She considers herself a part of that in some ways. Um, but she wants to make the argument we're still very religious, and she just came out the a book a new, bu- a new book last month called Self Made, where she's looking at basically how we understand ourselves and how we we've kind of fixated on this idea of creating ourselves mm-hmm. over the last like 500 years. So she covers from like she starts with Da Vinci and then she goes all the way to the Kardashians and I, like has a whole chapter on the Kardashians. Quite a mix of uh, of folks.
1: Yeah, it's not every day you get Da Vinci and the Kardashians probably lumped in
0: together. But. Yeah, it's probably the first and last time there will be a chapter on each of those. Um, but I, I just want to I I read how she starts her book, the example she gives. So think about this. We did when we thought about uh, how we were being formed a couple weeks ago with James K. Smith's idea of the mall, right? Mm-hmm. And how these stories and images and all these things are are, are forming us with a certain kind of underlying vision of the good life uh, I, I think she probably has not read james k smith but she's doing doing exactly that so she says in january 2020 high-end fitness chain equinox debuted one of its most lavish advertising campaigns entitled make yourself a gift to the world produced by marketing studio uh, draga the billboards and posters featured implausibly beautiful, artistically rendered young men and women evoking mythological demigods of ages past. In one poster, a powerful-looking woman easily lifts two men, Samson-style. In another, a shirtless man lies on a funeral pile attended by frenetic worshippers. According to the marketing agency, the campaign is supposed to depict, quote, "...divine characters as godlike gifts to the world." in moments and situations that reflect their self-worship as serving a larger purpose to humanity. Okay, you hear what she's saying there? The, the point of the, of the ad is to say these people are being worshipped both by themselves and others, and that is supposed to be a good for humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, she goes on, the campaign's commercial takes the theme of divine self-obsession even further, retelling the story of narcissists, the infamously beautiful Greek demigod who fell in love with his own reflection in a pond and subsequently drowned by trying to reach it, the film turns the myth's moral warning on its head. Self-obsession costumed to tell us this, a gift not just for, uh, for him to treasure, but a gift that brought the whole world pleasure. This narcissist survives and starts a dance party. With a wink to the viewer, the narrator asks, does that not make self-obsession the most selfless act of all? Okay, so, so the point of the ad is to say that self-obsession... <laughs> it's just like, you can't make this stuff you up. You cannot make this up. But, th- but this is the point of the ad, is that self-obsession and self-worship is actually a moral good in the universe, it's and the for most other people, selfless act. Okay, so she goes on. The message of the advertisement is clear. Join an Equinox gym where prices start at $250 a month and members are locked into year-long contracts and you too can become God's gift to the world or maybe even kind of a God yourself. Uh, we're targeting individuals dedicated to becoming the very best they can be, Equinox's chief marketer told one skeptical journalist, quote, We believe that when you become the best version of yourself, you radiate outward and contribute more to the world around you. Okay, so he just tried to dress up literally a tale in his ad about the Greek character Narcissus mm-hmm. as ethically plausible.
1: Yeah, this is like a great example of like people like... like like saying the embarrassing or like the, the thing out loud. You yeah. know, it's like they're not even hiding the ball. Yeah. Like they're just parading it out in front of you and trying to make
0: it seem good. Oh, man. All right. So, so again, we're constantly asking question. What's the vision of the good life behind that? And the vision of human flourishing behind that conception and culture is that we are to obsess over making ourselves into gods. And this will have a secondary positive impact on the world. In other words, selfishness and worship of self is a moral good. Okay, as silly as we, when you expose it like this, like she just did, uh-huh. like, and actually puts, it, puts the words down in the mouth of that, uh, the marketing agency, think about how that plot is the plot of so many shows and movies. Yeah. It, it's to, to literally obsess over self Create self to kind of do everything to worship and lift yourself up to the place you want to be, and somehow in the end, even though you've you've kind of ran all over other people to do that or or kind of rebelled against them, mm-hmm. in the end they all end up better. They all come back together. It's a big party at the end. Yeah, and everybody. Some you know you get what I'm saying.
1: Well, it's funny because the even the language of it, like uh, the generation I grew up in, like when I was a kid, it was an insult to somebody or a criticism of somebody to say, "Oh, they think they're God's gift to this." They think they're God's gift to yes. that. They're promoting that as a worthy aspiration and ambition to see yourself as God's gift to this. Um, like the whole idea was like, oh, that's like arrogance and hubris. And mm. uh, it's like the height of like, it's the kind of thing it, it, it's distasteful. Nobody wants to be around this. Yeah. And they're saying, no, that's what you should aspire to.
0: And, and, and I think uh, as silly as that sounds, yeah. that is behind a lot of the imaging in culture that were that we see jim gaffigan has a bit on this where he's
1: talking about the like when you go to the gym and and there's all these mirrors in the gym and he's always like you know it's like how uncomfortable that is he's like well we want to i want to watch myself while i work on myself and like yeah. become my better self and <laughs> it's like
0: this whole like yeah. self-obsession thing and yeah. yeah so so Burton the lady in the book so she gives that opening example and then she, she basically wants to show that idea and how it formed over 500 years and this is her, this is her in, in the front of the book she, this is her conclusion of what she thinks how modern culture conceives of itself now in terms of worshiping God and these sorts of things she says I believe we have not so much done away with a belief in the divine as we have relocated it we have turned our backs on the idea of creator God out there and instead placed God within us, more specifically, within the numinous force of our own desires. Our our obsession with self-creation is also an obsession with the idea that we have the power that we once believed God did to remake ourselves and our realities, not in the image of God, but in that of our own desires. Mm -hmm. That is a non-Christian saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, She just described, like the fundamental rebellion of man. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she's putting she's putting her a pin on from just a, a sociological analysis, yeah, of the fundamental religious nature of man's rebellion in the world. Right. In terms of worship. Right. Um, yeah. All uh,
1: so and it's such a corruption of like, you know, it's like every other I mean, when we talk, I mean, one of the fundamental things we talked about in terms of formation is union mm-hmm. with Christ, right? So this idea of, like, we've moved from creator God out there to placing God within us, the, the, the sordid and sort of twisted thing is that from a biblical standpoint and our understanding of Christianity, it is, I mean, it's nothing less than union with Christ. Yeah. I mean, Peter uses that language of we are partakers of the divine nature, Right. But so there is this sense in which we've become one with God through the mediating work of Christ and the 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 new birth and sealing of the spirit. And 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 then you have this now new nature to live in a new way, to think uh, in a new way, to have new desires and new attitudes and new Mm -hmm. like all the things of newness of life in Christ support the life of God in us. And yet, this is a complete distortion because it's really more of like a—it's not the life of God, uh, you know, not the God of the Bible, not 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 Yahweh or uh, you know, our, the Christian conception of yeah. God. It's really just—it's it, the well, what Truman calls right, the rise and triumph of the modern self. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. that's what it is. Yes, it's, it's just looking deeper within me mm-hmm. to pull out
0: the God in me, sort of yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. and so. The, on the Truman thing, it were, so Carl Truman writes this book basically doing some of the same work of looking at how do we come to be such an individualist culture and kind of the outworkings of that and things like the sexual LGBTQ stuff. Um, I think actually Burton puts a lot more religious pointedness on it mm-hmm. where she's saying that this, this is really fundamentally about divinity, and mm-hmm. how people conceive of it now yeah. and relocate into within us as divine. And uh, it reminded me when I was reading her book of some uh, some research that I read from a sociologist a couple of years ago who talks about secular cultures, uh, like they sacralize things, mm-hmm. even as they as they try to get rid of uh, kind of the idea of, of God and these sorts of things. They, they have to sacralize something. And what, so what he means by that is uh, so... The sociologist describes sacralization as the activity where, quote, people, things, events, and processes are bestowed with sacred status, even as the tide of Christian influence ebbs from Western societies. Mm -hmm. And in this way, like the thing that's being sacralized is ourselves, Mm -hmm. the individualism, the, the making of ourselves in our own image. Has become the religious quest or the sacralized thing in our society. Yeah, and it's not even
1: just the remaking of ourselves. It's the it's actually the creating of God in our image. Yes. When the way this is supposed to work <laughs> is that, or the way that it actually is, is God created us in His image. That image has been distorted, twisted, marred, all that, and the the whole r- thing that we're talking about in terms of human flourishing is is that discipleship or, or apprenticeship to Jesus is about recovering our humanity. And re, uh, in, in a sense, it's about the reclaiming of the image of God in us or, or our own remaking into the image of God. Um, that's what Christian maturity is, is God, yeah. God uh, recovering that for us. Yeah. And, and yet we've kind of twisted that up or flipped it upside down to yeah. where we're actually, we presume that we can instead create God in our image. And so he ends up looking like for narcissists, you look in,
0: like he looks a lot like us. Yes. Um, and we're about, to, I'm about, we're about to show that in the Bible in a mm-hmm. second here, which is pretty fascinating. But so, in relation to worship specifically, think about this. If, you, if in culture, whether unconsciously or consciously, uh, you are relocating the divine to within yourself as the creator. The sustainer, the the image maker of all things, that by default makes you the thing that has to be worshipped, mm-hmm. because there's nothing above that. Right. There's there's no there's no maker that's made you to look up to. Yeah. Right. So it 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 makes worship by necessity of the underlying vision of human flourishing be something that only can be directed towards human beings. Yeah. Which is just a. a a new way of talking yeah, about the, Romans 1.
1: Right? <laughs> if the highest good is to be your truest self or to express your truest feelings and live into your yeah. deepest desires and to, and to be loyal to your impulses or whatever, like, yeah, yeah if that's the highest good out there, yeah. then you yourself, and frankly, at your best or worst, <laughs> mm-hmm. like your best or worst instincts. You are essentially assuming the throne.
0: It is a very man centered view of life. Yeah. Like, so Burton even says, I love this line from her. She says, If we're all our own high priests, who is there to kneel to? Yeah. Like, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Like, we've relocated ourselves as top, and that, therefore, just in the logic of the worldview here, mm-hmm. worship cannot be directed to anything but you mm-hmm.
1: or to other human beings. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, what it doesn't tell you is that if everybody's doing that, then, number one, we live in a very pantheistic world. Sure. Because we're all little gods. Sure. Number two, it shrinks your kingdom to a very minute size. It does. So, like, even to the extent that you can sort of become the sort of ruler, as it were, mm-hmm. of your own life, and, and you become the sort of highest thing in your own life, your kingdom is a kingdom of one. Yes. Because everybody else is ruling over their own little kingdom. Yes. So, in your worldview, your, you know, your highest good is you ruling over you. Yeah. For the glory y- you're, of you. You're both in you're, your own mind. You're both
0: the worshipped <laughs> and the and worshiped. the worshipper. Yeah. So, think about how how again cultural formation. Think about what that does for the idea of corporate worship, congregational worship. It discourages that idea.
1: Yeah. Which is why, in I mean, it's, it, and I'm not sure if it's chicken or egg. Mm-hmm. But this goes back to that sort of deeply embedded, uh, what we all know in the West is the, the sort of expressive individualism mm-hmm. as the sort of
0: uh, underbelly of yeah. what drives so much of, of what Indivi- we do. Corporate worship, where we're involved with other people, feels less authentic than individually expressed and unique worship because of our kind of conception that Autonomous individualism is the most authentic expression of life. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so even if, we're, even if it's directed towards the right thing, God, we, because of our cultural formation sometimes, feel like corporate worship is just not as real. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as authentic to my spirituality because I've been so shaped to think of my autonomous individual experience and creating unique experiences mm-hmm. as more legitimate Right. Then coming together, and actually engaging in the same activity,
1: right. You know what I mean? Yeah, directed collectively
0: upward or outward from yeah. ourselves and not towards us. Yes, yeah, we could go all sorts of ways with that. but I, so I, I actually want to show this in the Bible um this idea, like that whole narcissist idea of where you like you kind of start seeing yourself in worship and that's your mm-hmm. downfall. I want to see that in Adam. I think there's a really subtle way in the Bible, particularly in Ezekiel, that the way Adam's sin is described um, subtly is is really a form of idolatry. Okay, so when you think about Adam, James, what did, what did Adam do to, to, to sin? What was the, like, just the bare facts of
1: uh, Genesis 3? Well, he participated with Eve in the taking of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and mm-hmm. hate in rebellion against God's command not to not to eat of it.
0: Yes, and he. So in that act, did I hold on? Did I? Did yeah, I, I got absolutely. it. <sighs> that was wow. so nerve wracking.
1: There was so much pressure there, because you know, like I'm a pastor, and if I got that wrong, it feels pretty basic. And like, I was like, all of a sudden, like, oh no, what if I get it wrong?
0: Go ahead. He's being sarcastic <laughs> here, folks. He's playing games with me. Okay, go ahead. And in doing that, in, in taking the fruit, they decided to be their own interpretive reality. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. They, they took the fruit and they decided we're, what God the way God interpreted the world and told us, this is the best, this is the vision of human flourishing, not to eat this tree. Uh, we're deciding we know better. We're a better interpreter of the outcome and understanding of the world than God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, okay, here's where, here's where the worship side comes in. So, in that act of self-interpretation, um, g. k. Beale, particularly a New Testament scholar who I really love, he talks about how uh, they, in that act, erected themselves as an idol who should be imaged. So he says that uh, that uh, Adam's act is really self-worship due to Adam's confidence in his own interpretation of the world. So he calls Adam's sin idolatry. Mm-hmm. um and he's not he's not just getting that from nowhere. he's He's seen this connection between identity. Kind of who Adam believes he is, and idolatry in the fall uh, as a key diagnosis for understanding the identity projects in a fallen world, like we just looked at in culture all the way up to today, and he sees this in Ezekiel 28 in a very subtle. Like this is, man, this is this is why it's like you, you read you can read the prophets for years and years and years, and there's just like so much that you, that you could just in all of this stuff going on in the prophets. Um, but Ezekiel 28, there's this kind of pronouncement of judgment on the prince of Tyre. Um, so God's kind of giving a judgment on this particular uh, uh, prince and his region. And in the first judgment against the prince of Tyre, God lays out the charges against him. So he in verses 1 through 5 of Ezekiel 28, he does that. And the, the charges include having a proud heart, declaring himself to be a god, and it says, uh, making your heart like the heart of a god. So he's, he's saying this is what the Prince of Tyre is doing. He's making himself out to be a god. Mm-hmm. Um, and this stems, wh- why is the Prince of Tyre doing that in Ezekiel 28? From uh, his wisdom, he thinks he's got a lot of wisdom, and his possessions. And uh, this first pronouncement basically centers on the Prince of Tyre's perceived autonomy, his selfishness, and his kind of self-deification. Okay, so after doing that, after kind of pointing those things out, God does, God laments more sins on the Prince of Tyre. And it's almost as if Ezekiel slips into talking about Adam. He kind of, he starts to paint the Prince of Tyre's sins and his motivations in what Adam was doing. He's, he's in some ways saying, you, you were imaging Adam's fall. Um, by taking on this sort of uh, self-deification. And listen to what he says. This is uh, uh, verses 12 through, uh, I mean, 13 through 17 of Ezekiel 13. I mean, of Ezekiel 28. It says, uh, and I'm kind of, to condense it, I kind of put it together in some ways. It says, talking about the Prince of Tyre, like that's who he's addressing. but he slips into talking about basically Adam. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. That's talking about Eden, the mountain of God there. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Okay, so think about that. Ezekiel is painting Tyre, the prince of Tyre, in the sin of Adam. And he says, I cast you off from the mountain, from, the, from Eden. Why? Because your heart was proud. Why? Why was, why was Adam's heart and the prince of Tyre's heart proud? Because of his own beauty, how he understood his own beauty. And two, uh, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Okay, so what that demonstrates is that Tyre's sin, or the prince of Tyre's sin, is interpreted through the pattern of atoms. This is what G.K. Bill concludes. He says, Ezekiel 28 and its understanding of Genesis 3 conceives of sin to be the rearranging of existence around the self, with the result that it comes to be its own creator, healer, and sustainer. Consequently, all sin includes idolatry. Okay. So if we're seeing sin as fundamentally at its root an act of idolatry mm-hmm. and I'm making this connection between Adam and the prince of Tyre. Right. What could be the possible connection here and maybe even the stronger one of the connection between the prince of Tyre and the serpent.
1: Yeah, I mean I the so the there is the way I've always understood and read this text because there's a reference a couple of times in it to a guardian cherub and um, that the person or the, the point of reference from God to the Prince of Tyre is is to a guardian cherub which lends itself to the potential interpretation of this being a reference to Satan, not to Adam. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, that point can maybe be debated or argued, it's not, it's not definitive maybe one way or the other, but what's clear is that whether it's about Adam or about Satan, the, 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 the point you're making is still that there is an intelligent, I mean, if it's, it was Satan who incited the rebellion of Adam and Eve. And mm-hmm. so there is this intelligent evil that's operative behind idolatry. Uh, in all of its forms, that yeah. wants to incite or provoke or elicit our worship mm-hmm. of, and and this is the nefarious thing. It's
0: self-divinizing.
1: Thing. It, yeah, and it's there. There's there, there's something like God creates us for his for the worship of Him, and the only true expression of worship is worship of the living God as He is. Every other form of worship is idolatry, and so. Satan doesn't have to get you to worship Satan. Satan just needs to get you to worship anything other than the living God. Yeah. Right? And so the self is certainly uh, one of the foremost culprits uh, that he uses mm-hmm. uh, to to get us to look rather than upward to get
0: us to look inward. Yes. And I think so. so rooting that back to the origins of evil itself <laughs> mm-hmm. and then subsequently possibly to the the actual original fundamental sin of humanity uh, by Adam and Eve uh, what that does is it it kind of pulls back we've just been looking at what the kind of uh, worship of self how it's expressed in culture and we're seeing it as like an ancient problem and a universal problem Mm -hmm. like this, this this is the point of kind of doing culture exegesis is to show that the The ways in which we're being culturally formed, even though they're probably in, in many ways new expressions and new ideas and new uh, kind of strategies,
1: mm-hmm. they're
0: usually fundamentally the same things that have pointed people towards rebellion uh, uh, throughout time.
1: Yeah. Well, and you made the reference a second ago to Romans one. It's just basic Romans one, basic right? One it's the worship one. of creation over yeah. the creator, and. And that's really where, you know, the language that um, the author that you, what was her, what's her name? Burton. Burton, where she references this, uh, I mean, it's a resurgence of paganism. Yeah. It's just in, uh, you know, more culturally palatable forms. Sure. Um, We think of, you know, ancient paganism and the... the, the, We think of
0: silly magic. Oh, yeah.
1: We think it's all this hocus pocus and nonsense. And the truth is, is that modern people... Are very much into
0: pagan idolatry. Absolutely, <laughs> like the, the language mm. is pagan religious language, yeah. centered around a very sophisticated idea of finding yourself and making the expression of self the ultimate form of a of uh, a healthy reality. Right. And again, what that in relation to worship is that places you at the top of reality. So there's nothing above there to be worshipped. Okay, so, so the main two ideas that I wanted to distill from kind of our cultural formation around the idea of worship is, by the way of us making ourselves kind of gods unconsciously or, or consciously, we've placed ourselves as the only thing that can be worshipped. And we've made worship itself a very isolated and individual activity. Right. Because of the way in which we understand ourselves as the, the most authentic way for us to express worship of whatever it is, is to have our own unique experience that is ours and ours alone, mm-hmm. and maybe some ways more feels better than the way other people are doing it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't like assimilation. We like individuality.
1: So I don't know if this is, maybe this is too premature a transition point, but like one thing that I just think of as you're talking about that is it's not only that we think of private personal worship as the only authentic expression of it. It's that we've even done a lot in our forms of corporate worship to privatize and individualize our expressions of worship even when we're together. So for instance, the simple thing of dark rooms, Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a part of that that's like, hey, we don't want you to like be too yeah. aware of the people around you. We want you to enter into a a, a moment between you and God together, yeah. right? Yeah. That like that might be, and yeah. I'm not saying that's sure. inherently wrong or whatever. But I'm wondering how yeah. much that forms us.
0: Yes, uh, again, and this is getting back to that's a form, that's a practice, that's not necessarily right. something you con, con you, like you you thought of consciously or like in the content. It's literally in the environment. Yeah, you know, or thinking like. Churches today... For us, it's like an inherited form of worship. Sure, inherited form of it, it, worship. Like, nobody builds churches with pews anymore, mm-hmm. right? Where, you, where you're where actually sitting next to someone without an armrest in between or chairs spread out. Or yeah, you like got to get that homie seating. There was a, a very intentional design behind the pew of everyone being in the same row together. Um, but, like, yeah, so just, you could spend... And I, I do want to say we're not... We're not trying to bring back the pews, though. We're, I'm not trying to bring <laughs> back the pews. those. Those puppies are expensive. Uh, yeah, they're not overly comfortable. You know, there's whole companies that like rent out pews. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, like if you um, need some more pews, they'll rent you some. I, we're good. Yeah, we're good. we're good. We're good. We're good. But but that's the kind of stuff. Hey guys, be thinking about that. What are the ways in which your environment are shaping you towards these different yeah. things? Like this is that's the kind of like creative. The thing.
1: medium is the message. Yes. Back to that idea. Yes.
0: Okay. So now turning to counterformation. What does Christian worship look like? Well, I think Christian worship has to be kind candles of candles and sandals. First of <laughs> all, candles and sandals. <laughs> Sorry, <go> whoa. <laughs> I never heard what, what's the what's the connection between candles and sandals? Well, you know, it's that like it's a vibe. I've heard bells and smells. Oh really? that's like what they say about the Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> that's funny, bells and smells. You know, everybody wants to go to the uh, candles bells and, and Sandals
1: was uh yeah, that's like a, that was a sort of 90s the 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 uh stripped down acoustic casual vibe.
0: That that's how that's how you describe your your uh vineyard origins. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. I wouldn't say vineyard <laughs> origins. I would say uh vineyard was a uh a stop along the way. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> a, a, a portion of the road. <laughs> okay. It's just not, it wasn't the originator. That you traveled in, place, in sandals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've i never been a big sandals guy, but... Sonics, but sandals. Sandals, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, like yeah. sandals.
0: Okay, so if we're trying to think about counterformation that's responding to those rebellious ideas of putting you on top and isolation, I think we have to put an emphasis on uh, who is it that's infinitely valuable of worship? Yeah and the the way the bible like prioritizes certain forms of worship particularly congregational worship yeah. as the the place from which all subsequent worship flows from
1: mm. in both ways yeah so we're talking about a recovery of reverence mm-hmm. of awe and of um uh togetherness um uh, uh I don't want to just say community just because it's sort of a, you know, a, an easily overlooked word, but like that we are jointly together in a posture of lowness and nothingness before a holy and righteous and
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, transcendent
0: God. Yeah. So if we think about, if we think about like in cultural formation, we're the unique one. Yeah. Like, like the goal is to make ourselves the unique one, mm-hmm. therefore needing the thing that needs to be praised. Think about how Scripture actually denies that category to us mm-hmm. and makes God the only one with the category of uniqueness. Yeah. In the there is sense of the none mind. like me. Uh, what <laughs> I wrote down, Isaiah 46, yeah. 8 through 9, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Yeah. Like... That's not, that's not a throwaway line. It, and it's not the only place it's mentioned, no, it's right? Not. The reason I said that line is because,
1: I mean, the, the Old Testament is riddled with that phrase yes. in so many different places yes. of God saying, There is none like me. It, it, it,
0: that, that statement, that truth, there is none like me, is the foundation of what is fundamental to understanding who we are as human beings mm-hmm. in terms of realizing the distinction between the creator and the created. Yeah. Like it, it, it is a it is a statement of being. God is in a completely different category. He's not just right. a, he's not just a greater version an infinite version of what human beings are. Right. He's he's actually a distinct other completely separate thing mm-hmm. than humanity. Right. That puts him in the category of uniqueness that demands worship. Not just because he says so, but because of his very
1: being. Yeah, like you and I
0: might have small
1: personality uniquenesses. Mm-hmm. So you have parts about you that might be unique from another person or from yeah, other yeah. people. You are yeah. There is nobody else who is entirely like you. But like God as a whole is utterly unique.
0: Yeah, we may have differences. We're the, same, we're the same species. Right. God is his own genus. Right. Like, he is his own thing. And so, like, it's so important, guys. Yeah. Like, And what the, how does that relate to worship? It puts God in the category of the only thing that can be worshipped because he's the unique one. Right. So from the very outside of our doctrine of God, we are steered in the opposite direction of the idea that we can be in the place of uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And it actually places him in the, in the category or in, this, in the, the slot of the thing that needs to be strived toward to be praised— because everything we're searching for in the uniqueness of ourselves is actually found in his uniqueness.
1: Mm-hmm. And, the, and so the, the, the idea of corporate worship, at least at the most basic foundational level, mm-hmm. is us coming together as non-unique ones yes. to behold the unique one. Yes. It puts us on level playing field. It, it puts us on the same plane. And it draw, and it, and rather than drawing attention to us, it it directs our
0: attention to him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So if we're dealing with that first, like fundamentally, it it reorients who can actually be worshipped. Mm-hmm. What is biblical worship towards God? How how does the Bible define it? How does it express it? What are the What are the things that we need to keep in mind in terms of the actual practice of it? So I think Jesus makes a, a very important distinction between external and internal worship and how you have to have internal, or yeah. it is not worship. So Matthew fifteen eight, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Mm-hmm. So there's an idea there what? I mean, you can... You can go you through, can, through the motions. You can be externally, quote, unquote, worshiping,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but the heart... It's not torn toward God and worship, and therefore it is not biblical worship. Yeah. It's not biblical worship. Now, that doesn't mean you basically have to feel it before you do anything, but there is a serious emphasis that God places on external forms not being uh, basically crutches for a cold heart.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And it it tells us that it is very possible to enter into worship in fraudulent ways. Yes. Like, we can be fake about this. Yes. we can. We can absolutely settle for external forms of what others would identify as worship, while our hearts are far from God, and and like you said, cold towards God. Yeah.
0: Okay, so it, if if worship flows from the heart, basically what we're saying, if 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 heart has to be involved in order for it to be true worship, what is the expression of true worship from the heart look like? I think Hebrews thirteen has a really good kind of. Uh, it kind of has a little categories here that uh, I think are helpful. This is Hebrews 13, it says, 15 and 16. Through him, that's Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Mm-hmm. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I think you you get the category there of worship being expressed in, through lips and through hands. Mm. Through our voice and through our bodies, like so. There's this category of using uh, our speech and using or being expressing worship through what we do in terms of serving or or, or using our 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 bodies in some ways.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And again, what we've been trying to focus on this in talking about spiritual practice and formation is the importance of uh, like not just being bobblehead Christians, but actually like the focus on our bodies as important parts of our formation so I, it's just worth saying Romans 12 1 yeah. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable which is your spiritual service of worship mm-hmm. I mean man I I wish I would think about that verse more
1: Yeah,
0: in terms of how I think about worship I hardly ever think of my body is he, he, I mean that's a pretty straight statement is your spiritual service of mm-hmm. worship
1: but but even the idea of presenting your body still a- as a spiritual, act, uh, present your body to God as a spiritual act of worship, uh, holy, pleasing, that taps into, it's drilling down beneath the, the, the body itself mm-hmm. to the, you're presenting yourself. You are intentionally, consciously, deliberately in a, from, from an internal posture, bringing yourself mm-hmm. into, it's, it's a, it, the idea is one of surrenderedness. Yeah. it's one of obedience and responsiveness to an internal um, uh, 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 being under the authority or, or, or bringing yourself to God so that's an outward expression that's driven by an internal intentionality
0: yes so uh, I so with those biblical passages I just want to throw out a couple definitions of worship from different uh, trustworthy pastors and theologians that maybe we can riff on a little bit that are trying to get at what we're talking about. So I think John Stott says exactly what you just said. So he says, Christian worship is heart worship. However, it may be expressed outwardly. It is in essence rational, involving the mind, spiritual, involving both our spirit and God's, and moral, involving the conscious and the whole life. According to Jesus, these are the kinds of worshipers the Father is seeking. So it, again, it's holistic. Mm-hmm. It's involving all of those things. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we we know how this is in terms of the ideas of worship. Usually, a lot of times in different in different environments and traditions, are usually skewed towards different things. Mm-hmm. So there's a very cognitive idea of worship, where it's worship, is is all about the teaching. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about experiencing the best the best sermon you can possibly get or the best kind of Bible study you can possibly get as the idea of where worship happens. Or there's other environments where the, the music is the most important thing, where people literally, like, the top thing on their list for looking for a church is, does it have...
1: Emotionally stirring and engaging
0: music. Yeah. Right? In other churches, it could be, like, uh, you know, service as the most important thing in terms of how we think about worship in terms of social projects and different things. And I, I think we're trying to get at not... Skewing towards these different kind of pitfalls that can become identities for different uh, yeah. kind of flavors of. I mean, the first
1: and basic command that we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is tapping into these different dimensions of our personality and how mm-hmm. you know how we love God is the
0: is an engagement of the whole person. Yes, right in these ways. Yes. Okay, think about this one and how it relates to our counterformation in terms of. Uh, the, the things we're looking at in cultural formation. It's from a guy named Paul Grime. He says, Just as you can't exhale before you have first inhaled, so it is in our worship of God. Before I have anything to offer Him, I first receive from Him. The God who breathed life into Adam now breathes the life of His Son, Jesus, into His children as He bestows on us all Christ's benefits. Filled with that breath, we can't help but exhale the thanks and praise that flow from a cleansed heart. Okay. Christian worship, instead of creating an identity, first receives an identity, mm-hmm. which is a complete counterformation of the idea of, of how we're thinking about worship and, mm-hmm. and kind of self divinization and culture. We actually receive an identity from which our worship flows rather than create an identity that then has earned the status of needing to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is critical for understanding the, kind of the vision of what it means to be human mm-hmm. when we think about the spiritual practice of worship. So we, we've we tried to to give some cultural formation and then a, a brief kind of reorientation towards a, a Christian view of worship, what it's aimed at. And uh, now I think we're going to move probably next week into talking about, both the corporate and individual aspects of worship that kind of deals with the other aspect of cultural formation that we're uh yeah i mean i think for
1: the sake of time uh you you plan out the podcast and then you have me to deal with you never know (laughs) how much i'm gonna ramble on about different things and extend our time so so maybe for the sake of time for this week we 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 kind of stand here and just let us think about You know some of these ideas that we've talked about in terms, again, of the cultural formation, particularly as it relates to how we've been formed to worship, and especially in our modern age, to to worship the self. And and just the simple thing, I mean, I think this is this is because of how deeply we've been formed in these ways. And I think at one level, too, because of the reality that we've been formed in a the transcendence of God, the majesty, the holiness, the otherness and uniqueness, mm-hmm. as we've said, of God has been so diminished that it might be a worthwhile to just end this episode and leave us there of really thinking about, uh, how about the reorientation of our hearts and our minds and our bodies towards the, towards that fact of God's otherness. And his—I mean, even when you think about—we think about, for instance, Jesus being the expression of God in the flesh that brings God near. Which obviously there is that in the incarnation. But even the language of the incarnation uh, that we're given in John's Gospel of the only begotten Son—the idea of Jesus's begottenness is his utter uniqueness. Yes. His singularity.
0: Yes. That he's
1: unlike any of us. So we so often in our world in our modern culture think about the ways in which God is in Christ like us Mm -hmm. the way he relates to us Mm -hmm. the way that he comes near and and then the ways in which we can be like him and so forth that it might be a worthwhile thing to just let's 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 give that some attention yeah the fact that not only is God the Father utterly unique Mm -hmm. God the Son is utterly unique yes the God we worship is not like us yes there are ways in which right but But at its core, at its fundamental, He is unlike us, and thus He's the only one.
0: There's no God like Him. And what that should do is it should, that heightens the grace and mercy of what the incarnation was Mm -hmm. in ways that really is unfathomable unless you start fathoming the the ways in which God is absolutely incredible. Like, so this is a great point in terms of like the focus is usually on. Right, God the Father's uniqueness, and we kind of partition mm-hmm. in ways which we shouldn't be doing. Right. Um, like, think about this the Son, while He's incarnate, it, the, the text, the Bible does not say He stopped upholding the world. Right. Like, Colossians 1 says He. Uh, he, uh, he so, think about, again, this is the mystery of the incarnation. Right? right. It's that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Word of God, who created and upholds all things, that didn't just go on. It couldn't, by necessity, go on pause while he became a baby right. in the womb. Right. Like, the otherness of God, even as he condescends to us in the Incarnation. Right. That's who we worship. Like, that's worthy of worship. Yeah. Like, so So we we want uniqueness. What is more unique than the both who God is in eternity and who God is in the Incarnation through the Son of
1: Jesus? Yeah, and so... In one sense, and we'll elaborate on this next week at the corporate and individual level of worship specifically, and all other spiritual practices that we will cover are intended to facilitate or lead us deeper into worship. But but let's camp on this thought for the next few days, and then we come here on Sunday and we gather together, and then we'll elaborate on those things in next week's episode. Let's let's your thoughts of God, my thoughts of God, even with your seminary education, which is intended to elevate your thoughts of God and for for you in the last 3 years but neither you or I nor anyone in our church nor all of us collectively have dared yet to have a lofty enough thought of God in our lives that is proportionally appropriate for a, who he actually is
0: and and to be honest we never will
1: and yeah in, our great in heaven <laughs> we won't,
0: we will, we will never comprehend it so all. we need to
1: accept and admit that one of our biggest maybe our biggest problem is our thoughts of God are just too small still. Mm-hmm. And we need to kind of sit in that. And we need to kind of look at the ways yeah. in which, what, what what could I do? Yeah. What can we do together to elevate and have, have more appropriately exalted thoughts of God? And part of that is, how can we help diminish our own self-importance? Yes. How can, how can we, yes. how can we yeah. stop feeding this cultural mindset of... You're a snowflake, and you're unique. You're unlike, and you're yeah. so special. And uh, look, you are special. You Absolutely. are beloved by God. Absolutely, all those things. Yes. <laughs> sure, yeah. we've spent yeah. enough time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Let's think about God.
0: Yeah, yeah. The cultural formation that is distracted us from that is that uh, instead of thinking big thoughts about God, we've decided to think really big thoughts about ourselves mm-hmm. all the time. And, uh, okay, so next week we're going to look at, okay, what does that actually look like? What is the – so we want to focus on practices. Like we've talked a lot about the theology and the cultural formation. What does it look – what are the actual practices that we do in corporate worship and individual worship that gear us toward that that fundamental vision, that – what we talked about a couple weeks ago social imaginary of what life is Mm -hmm. what is the vision of human flourishing that God has for us in this practice cool let's do it y'all have a good week